Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk Podcast, episode number four. My name is Ryan and I will be your host, as always, because it's my podcast. But anyway, uh, in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, work-life balance as a full-time reseller. Uh, if you're a full-time reseller, this hopefully will help you a little bit. Um, if you're a part-time reseller, it may or may not necessarily apply because your goals and your workload are obviously different and in a very different way. Uh, but maybe you'll find something useful in there. Um, I, I, it came to light to me this week. And this is a topic I've had on my potential show list, actually, for quite some time. And I just decided this week that uh, it was a prime opportunity to take a look at this issue because I have had no work-life balance <laughs> this week. So we'll get into that a little bit. We'll, of course, cover some reselling news from the week. We'll have the weekly recap, uh, but we're going to kick it off with some viewer question and answer session. Um, I get quite a few questions, particularly on my YouTube channel. If you'd like to leave one for me, you can leave one in the comments there. If you're listening to this, you can. Uh, if you're on Anchor, you can actually leave me a voice message through the Anchor app. Um, otherwise, you can email me directly at galaxycds at gmail.com, or you can go to galaxycdsrocks.com and leave a note in the appropriate uh, thread in my community message boards. But just a couple of questions that came up this week um, regarding my video on uh, I can't believe what this CD sold for. Uh, the first question was, I have a lot of CDs with inserts, but no jewel cases. Should I purchase cases or try to sell as is? Now, you can certainly try to sell them as as they are. And you will, if you go on eBay and you look up any given CD, you're likely to see someone selling a CD without a case, um, but at a generally significantly reduced price from what full package CDs are going for. So not having the case obviously impacts the value from the start. The second issue is you're still going to have to find something to help protect the CD when you ship it, because just putting a, a plain CD with no case into a poly mailer or a bubble mailer, it's unlikely that it will arrive at its intended destination intact. Um, they're just, they're not built for that kind of <laughs> rough housing with the USPS. So you're going to have to put it in a case or you're going to have to, you know, get some cardboard inserts and wrap it up or bubble wrap and wrap it up. So you're going to have to go through some sort of expense anyway. So I really recommend, um, shipping them with a case. A lot of times you can find at garage sales or, you know, on, Facebook marketplace or just by throwing out feelers, you can find people who have a lot of cases laying around that don't have anything in them. They've transferred all of their CDs to a binder or whatever the case may be. So there are opportunities to get jewel cases fairly inexpensively, um, sometimes probably even free. So I would definitely look into that before I went and spent a bunch of money um, on jewel cases because it's probably hard on, especially the lower priced items to recoup the full investment there. But Again, my recommendation would be, um, especially since you're going to have to protect it somehow when you get ready to ship it, to try to find some cases. Generally, what I do also, and I can do this because I just have so many CDs, if I have a case that's damaged on an item that I've sold, I will swap it out with another CD 
that has a good case so that I'm always shipping good cases. Um, and I'm always buying more CDs. So I've always got kind of an influx of new decent cases. So that's another option. If you've got a bunch, um, you know, I'll pull an item that I think is less likely to sell than another. And I'll use the case from that. Or if I have a lot that I've put up where I've put in the description that some of the cases may be damaged, I may swap out all the good cases in that lot for some cracked ones so that I've got cases. So you've got some options to come up with some cases, but I strongly recommend in the end uh, that you get some sort of case. Uh, Another question that came up, um, thank you to uh, Shop Eric Gifts, actually, for that question. I appreciate it. Um, Francisco um, asked, a local rare bookshop is having a quote-unquote estate sale going out of business sale this weekend. He asked if I'd ever been to a similar one. It's a three-day sale. How would you approach it? First day versus last day. Um, He indicated he's going to go the first day to look at the prices and then maybe go the third day to do a purchase. Now, I've not personally done like a going out of business type sale. Um, I've done a lot of estate sales. And generally speaking, that's kind of my philosophy. I think I've probably talked about it previously. I'll go the first day and maybe cherry pick two or three things that I think look particularly attractive and then make a decision on whether or not I'd want to go back on the third day and maybe grab some more stuff and then potentially even make an offer on the remainder um, so I think going on the first day is is probably a good practice just to get a lay of the land like he was talking about. And maybe you can pick a few things that you think are really strong and then make a decision what you want to do about the rest of it. Um, with an actual rare bookstore slash business going out of business, that first day, I, my expectation would be, and uh, Francisco, let me know, um, in the comments, if you did go to that sale, how it worked out, my my best guess is that that first day, the stuff is a little on the expensive side because they know the value of it and they're trying to maximize what they can get as opposed to an estate sale where they're literally just trying to blow everything out. So it might be a little bit different situation. Um, so let me know. Um, shoot me a message back or re-comment on that video and let me know kind of what you saw. But my, ex- my guess would be the first day, prices likely to be a little high and then at the end uh, as they get desperate to move some stuff you might see um, a little bit better opportunity to uh, snag some good inventory at a really good price so that's kind of the uh, the quick hitters for the questions there were a lot of comments on that particular video Um, so if you haven't seen that go to youtube i can't believe what this cd sold for i talk about a lot of stuff that sold in that weekly recap Um, But there was one particular item that was uh, pretty astounding. So I was real pleased with that. And uh, with that, let's jump straight into some news. News updates. So a big, big week. Actually, it's been a big year for eBay. Um, Their their stock, as of last week, um, Friday has risen over 100% since the market low in uh, late March. So it's it's doing better than Zoom. It's doing better than Netflix. And they completed their sale of the classifieds unit that we talked about in last week's news. Um, and for even more money than we initially <laughs> talked about, the deal ended up being $9.2 billion in cash and stock. Um, 
eBay's getting $2.5 billion in cash and then becomes the largest single shareholder of the company that actually completed the acquisition. So it's a real interesting um, business acquisition. Uh, eBay does remain in some contact with the business, um, but they got a, a really nice influx of cash and some stock. Uh, this is kind of on the heels of some other stuff that they've done in the past. Um, they sold, I believe it was their, their shares in, was it StubHub um, sometime back and got a, a bunch of money on that deal. So their their plan seems to be to really refocus on their core business, which is as an online marketplace. Um, they had kind of, you know, I guess you could make the argument that a classifieds business and StubHub uh, which they got, I think the number was like $4 billion in cash, are sort of related to being an online marketplace, <clears throat> but kind of off a little bit in the periphery. And the the new regime seems really, really focused on maintaining their position as an online retailer. So I think as a seller, that's um, that's a pretty good place to be shooting for. I don't know that they're... They're never going to be Amazon, and they really shouldn't be striving to be. And I know the last administration of eBay was really kind of focused on that. <clears throat> uh, the new group doesn't seem to be quite so much so. And I think that's good because there's just so much stuff on eBay, collectibles and antiques and stuff that you just can't find on Amazon. But I think if they really focus on where they're different instead of trying to make those things the same as Amazon, um, they should be kind of highlighting those differences and the touting their uniqueness. So it's going to be interesting over the next months and years to see how that all shakes out. Um, there's also some independent news reports. NBC News actually ran a, an article on their website last week about eBay and how it is it is actually becoming a more trusted platform for traditional retailers to hawk their wares, as it were. They mention um, Best Buy and Newegg having their own eBay stores and that they generally include similar inventory and prices to their regular store sites. Um, and occasionally they'll even run a, a special on eBay. So even the big players in traditional retail are starting to see more value in eBay, which again is only good for everybody else because once people are on the platform, um, they will continue to look and shop. So I think I think that's all good for everybody involved. Um, so let me know your thoughts on that. And with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from my sponsor. And when I come back, we're going to talk about that work-life balance. And we're back. <clears throat> so about that work-life balance, last week... Um, like I said in the uh, intro, this is a topic that's actually been on my my show list for quite a while, and I just haven't, there have been other things I would rather talk about, but last week, getting ready for my uh, stock blowout, overstock blowout slash yard sale, uh, I put in 85 hours preparing for that thing, and we'll talk about that sale in uh, the weekly recap section of this deal, but it uh, it highlighted for me the whole work-life balance thing because I didn't, like I said, I didn't have any last week. I was literally in my garage. Um, if I wasn't shipping, 
items or listing a handful of stuff because I did list 140 odd items last week. Um, but if I wasn't doing one of those two things or sleeping, I was pretty much in the garage sorting through the 8,000 CD lot so that I could get everything ready for the sale. So I was out. Um, I actually took half a day off on Friday. I worked really late on Thursday to finish that project so that Friday I could just do do some listings, do some shipments, and then at 1 o'clock I just called it a day, and I went to my favorite park. Um, if you're familiar with the Cincinnati area, I went to uh, Miami Whitewater Park and did an 8-mile walk and really kind of just cleared my head and you know, tried to think about how I could get that that balance back and recharge the batteries. And that's when it prompted, hey, this would be a great time to talk about work-life balance. So obviously it's really important to have that. And one of the reasons, like I mentioned, that I I got into reselling and got out of what I was doing, which was um, auto sales, was that I just, I had no work-life balance at all. Um, You know, in the car business, a lot of dealerships, man, if you got a customer at eight o'clock and you're supposed to close at eight o'clock, you stay until whatever can be accomplished gets accomplished. And there were times you'd be there till nine, 10, 10, 30, 11. Uh, I worked for a while in the finance office and the latest I ever got out of there uh, with a supposed eight o'clock closing was midnight. And those are hours you never get back. So one of the beauties of reselling is that you, you can carve out a little better work-life balance, but it's really, really easy as I did last week to kind of get sucked in and I got to get this done. I got, I need to do that. I need to, you know, if you're doing, trying to do YouTube and or a podcast as well, uh, now I got to do this and that. And all of a sudden you've put in 80, 85 hours a week. And the, not only from a personal standpoint, but professionally things start to suffer. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed it in, in yourself, but I know I have in, in my own way, you know, I'll notice that as, as that balance shifts in the wrong direction, my work, the quality of it begins to suffer. Um, you start cutting corners. Maybe I take a couple less pictures or I'm not quite as descriptive in the descriptions and my listings aren't quite as good or, you know, maybe I don't take quite as much care in packing an item and I'm not doing the, the, the stuff that's really important in the reselling business because I'm, I'm tired and I'm stressed and I'm aggravated. And the reason for that is because I've allowed that work-life balance to move in the wrong direction. So, and normally this is not an issue for me. Um, last week, like I said, it was, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how I, what I look at when I look at my week so that I, generally speaking, don't get into that trap. So I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, the Stephen Covey four quadrants. Um, if you haven't, um, you probably want to Google that and look that up. And, you know, you can kind of follow along as I talk about this. But this is something I, I learned this a long time ago. And I use this maybe at this point, it's not even consciously, it's subconsciously because I've been uh, interested in it and using it for so long. It comes from his seven habits of highly effective people. And essentially what he does, he's, he's got this little grid, it's four quadrants. There's a X axis and a Y axis. And along one of them, he has the tasks, which are either important or not important. 
And on the other axis, you have urgent and not urgent. And that breaks everything into four quadrants, which of course would be urgent and important, not urgent, but important, urgent, but not important, and not urgent and not important. So, and that may sound confusing in a podcast. So it, like I said, if, if you got a chance, pause this, look that up so you can see the actual grid, that might be helpful. But essentially what you're trying to do is break down which things are really important and are also urgent for you to accomplish. So in a normal week, I set a task of, let's say, I've used the, the number 130 listings, which I've actually increased since I got all those CDs, but we'll just stick with that, 130 listings for the week. So that is important. At the start of the week, getting 130 listings is important. But at the beginning of the week, it's not really urgent because I've got seven days to get it done. So if something else comes up that's more important or more urgent, I can slide it in ahead of that. As you get, obviously, towards the end of the week, if you haven't stayed on track, it becomes more and more urgent that you do that task in order to get it accomplished. So that's just one quick kind of example. But what I try to do to keep that work-life balance is to make sure that at the center of that grid for myself is always time for me, time to go for a walk or a drive or to watch a movie or read a book or just do whatever the, the time I want to be able to relax and do the things I enjoy. And that will move around that quadrant as well. Sometimes it's always important, but it's not always urgent. Last week, like I mentioned, by Thursday night, it was both urgent and important because I could tell when I went into the garage on Thursday, my attitude was pretty subpar because I'd already been out there 55 odd hours or something like that over the the three days, four days from Sunday. So I was I was tired of it and I needed a break and I had like three boxes to go at it's about 5.30, 6 o'clock on Thursday. And I made the decision that getting some time for myself on Friday had become both urgent and important. So I grinded it out and I got those boxes done so that the next day I could carve out that time for myself. In a normal week, it's like I said, it's not that big a problem because everything kind of falls in. I've mapped out my, <laughs> my life and my workload so that I have that balance. But using this grid really helps to prioritize the things that are important. For instance, your shipments. Those are both urgent and important. you got to get that stuff out because A, it's important. you got to get the money and the customer's expecting the stuff. And B, it's urgent because there's a time frame tied to it. If you have, for instance, in my case, I use one business day handling. So that makes it urgent. i got to get it done today or tomorrow morning, whatever it is. So it's a quadrant one. I've got to get that done. Listings? Important, but not necessarily urgent. So that can move down. If I get up in the morning and I got 10 orders, that's got to be the first thing on my list. So that's the stuff that I do first. And again, trying to keep that work-life balance in the center of that grid and managing the workflow and my task plan for the week to allow me to be able to do that. So again, in a normal week, if I want to do 130 listings, that's only... If I do 25 a day during the week, 
I'm essentially there. And depending on what it is I'm listing, you know, CDs, I can knock out 50 in a day very, very easily, um, probably could do even more. But with normal merchandise, 20, 25 is kind of a full day. <clears throat> I'll do my shipments in the morning, do half the listings, take a break for lunch, do the other half. And by three thirty, four o'clock, I'm pretty well caught up and I can look at other tasks that I might want to accomplish. Or I can just say, hey, you know what? I'm done for the day. I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go watch a movie or do whatever it is to kind of recharge the batteries and get ready for the next day. So finding that balance, like I said, it's super important, not only for your own, you know, kind of personal mental health and in some cases physical health, but for the quality of your work. Um, If you want to make sure that your listings are the best that they can be, and that you're, you're getting everything done that you need to get done in the most efficient and the best possible way. Keeping yourself fresh and your batteries recharged is super important. And finding that balance and using this grid, I think, would help all of us achieve that. Again, last week, getting those CDs when I got them relative to a sale that was already scheduled, put finishing that project in the urgent and important quadrant for me. Now, hindsight being 2020, we're going to get into now the weekly recap. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, how sometimes things that you think are urgent and important don't always work out that way. So, I, like I said, I spent about 85 hours last week trying to get ready, trying to get these CDs ready for this sale. And... The sale, to be fair, was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I went through the 8,000 CD lot and separated out what amounted to a, a just short probably of 5,000 CDs that were going to go in the yard sale, in the, um, in the overstock sale. And I put those out and had some early activity and it looked pretty promising and then it just fell off a cliff. And at the end of the day... I had, out of roughly 5,000 CDs, sold a grand total of 76. So my my view of that going in as both urgent and important uh, probably turned out to be a mistake. It was probably, it's important because I got to get that sort done, but the level of urgency that I applied to it was, in hindsight, in error. Um that was a project that under normal conditions I would have spread out over probably a matter of weeks because the, the lot was just so huge, but because I thought it was important to have these sale, the, the items ready for the sale and the sale was coming up, I, I assigned a level of urgency to it that it probably, again, in hindsight, did not warrant because I did get through all of it. And that's, that's huge for me because now I've got all of the stuff that I want to list available to list and I can get started on that piece of the project. But in terms of the, the actual sale it, that part of it was essentially a flop. That was cool because some of the old um, customers from when I had my physical record store, galaxy CDs came out to the sale and it was good to see some people again and, you know, kind of catch up. So from that standpoint, it was great. I mean, I had a great time doing it and a couple of quick shout outs, um, one to my, my good friend, Lisa, and to my new friend, Avery, who uh, came out and helped with the sale and had their little, uh, little sale on the side. And uh, particularly a thank you to Avery, um, 
for a wonderful lunch. She made lunch for us and it was fantastic. So um, Lisa and Avery, thank you so much for coming out and helping out with that. I really appreciate it. And especially the, the loading of the books and the uh, putting back of the CDs, the part of the sale that did go well, the books. Um, I was in the, about the same place. I had sold 70 odd books, which I, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but from the standpoint of, I only had about 700 books out there. So as a percentage of what I had sorted out, I was feeling a little better about the books. And then I don't know, it was probably one thirty. Um, I was talking to another customer who's a college professor and we were just talking about, you know, that I resell books and I gave him my card with my eBay store on it, which I handed out several of those yesterday. So hopefully that generates some, some business for the eBay store as well. But I noticed this lady kind of listening in on what I was talking about. And when I finished talking to the professor, uh, she chimed in and said, I, I couldn't help but overhear what you were saying. And she says, I am a, a book reseller as well. Um, I sell on Amazon. And this looks like a really nice collection. What would you take for all of it? <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, it's, it's me going out to a sale and trying to steal a bunch of stuff. So I said, well, let me take a look. And she said, yeah, go ahead and take a count and just let me know, you know, what it would take. I would just take all of it. I've got my my SUV here. I just will load them up and I'll take them. So I did a, a rough count and it looked like I had about 600 books left. And I was asking a dollar a piece for the books. And so I said to her, I said, it looks like give or take, it's probably 600. Um, I'm selling them for a buck. If you take them all, I would do 50 cents a piece. I said, I'm not, I didn't do an exact count. So let's call it $275. And she said, I was counting them too. I think 600 is about right. Let's just do 300 and call it even. And I was like, great. And she said, do you have any boxes? And I'm like, I got a garage full of boxes. Let me go get them and we'll get these loaded up for you. So she bought everything I had left at the sale, which was hugely helpful. Um, additionally, it, it actually ended up being really pretty profitable because probably half of what she bought was from the estate sale that I've mentioned previously where I got everything for nothing just for the cost to go in to pick them up. So half probably of the 600 books, I didn't have anything in. So it turned into a reasonably profitable little uh, adventure. All in for the week, um, for the sale rather. The gross was about 460 bucks. So not huge. I was uh, My target was 500. So I just missed that and, you know, Thank goodness she came by and, and bought the stuff or I would have been probably under 200. Um, but in the end, that went pretty well. It cleared out a ton of space in my storage for inventory, which is good because I just closed the deal on another couple hundred books that I'm picking up um, this coming week. So the timing for everything just worked out really well. Got some positive cash flow, cleared out some old inventory. So all in all, I can't really be disappointed. The CD thing still bothers me a little bit. I really thought they would do better than they did, but... You know, you win some, you lose some. I did sell a few of them, and uh, today's a new day. The week in general, um, not quite as good as the week before, but still a really good week. Um, just from the, the the online, the eBay side, uh, $1,375 in gross sales. So, uh, again, just a little bit short of the week before, but probably a 35% increase over the, the two weeks prior to that. So, pretty solid. 
Cost of goods sold, only $43. So excellent. That was um, buoyed, again, by a lot of CD sales out of that lot, which were super inexpensive, and they're selling for pretty good money, the ones that are selling. So the the overall gross profit percentage was a very tidy 96.87%. So super, super weak from that standpoint. Um, I really didn't have any operating expenses other than, you know, PayPal fees and um, shipping costs. And again, like I talked about in my previous podcast, at, at this point, I'm still not on managed payments, although I did finally get invited. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't get the bribe. I didn't get the, uh, the whatever it was, $50 credit incentive, but I did finally get an email. And it looks like either late this month or the first part of August, I'll go on managed payments. And so this will change. But right now, I only account for my eBay fees once a month when my invoice comes due. Once I go on managed payments, those will actually be coming out on a daily basis off of the items. So this kind of net profit thing will be actually a little closer on a on a daily and weekly basis to the true number instead of just pulling that massive invoice out once a month. But nonetheless, my total operating expenses were only about $409 last week, which made my net income percentage 67%, which is Again, really, really great. Um, very pleased with that. And a little over $900 in net income before taxes. So all in all, a really, really good week. Very happy with that. Uh, you add in the closeout sale slash yard sale. That was another, what did I say, $460. So a little over $1,800 for the week. Um, if I could do that every week, I'd be I'd be well on my way to being where I want to be. So Feeling pretty good uh, for the week. This coming week, a big week ahead. Like I said, I'm picking up another big lot of books. I have probably 3,000 CDs now sorted out because I, uh, like I said earlier, I'm I'm upped the urgency of that program. So I've got those ready to go. So you'll be seeing a lot of CDs get listed. There's some really good stuff. There's some going to be some really highly profitable stuff in there. So I'm really excited to get started on that. And uh, looking forward to a big week. Um, I am taking the rest of the day off today. I may pack some shipments later because I've already got, I think, 20 orders to do. So I may do that later today so I'm not uh, jammed up in the morning. But uh, other than that, I'm going to uh, refresh today, get the batteries recharged, um, get that work-life balance that I talked about reset so I can get into next week and get going. And with that, we're going to call it a day. I appreciate you stopping by. You've been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast, and we will see you next week.